I don't think it's any different from the WTO or any other international organization, sort of the formal part of it. But I mean, what we do here, um, I'm sure you know that um, we have members who are developing countries and we also have, we also support LDCs. So there's a total of about 78, close to 80 countries that we support. Um, so those include the LDCs who are about 30, some of them, and then our members who are about 40, some of them. <coughs> And we provide um, legal opinions or legal advice. We provide capacity building training, and we also represent them in disputes at the WTO. And so those are the three services that we provide to our members and obviously the LDCs. That was Colofelo Kukla, and I am Rodolfo Rivas, and this is my podcast. Thank you for joining us. The Rodolfo Rivas project has grown a lot since its inception in 2018 but it seems to have reached a new level with audiences across the world in the last few months. If you are new to this show, welcome to our conversations. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so. It really helps. Now, on to our guest. Colofelo is a counsel at the Advisory Center on WTO Law, ACWL, in Geneva, Switzerland, where she advises developing country members and least developed countries, LDCs, on all issues related to WTO law. Colofello is originally from South Africa. In our conversation, she talks about how she ended up in law school and how, at one point, she thought of becoming a diplomat. Her career eventually led to her getting involved with international economic law and trade. She eventually made her way to the World Trade Institute for the MILE program, and she has been at the ACWL for over five years. She also talks about writing and editing a book on trade from the South African perspective and her role as a co-founder of the Trade Policy Exchange. It is fascinating to hear how she balances her work and manages to be involved with all the other work she's doing, on top of her family life. Please listen in to hear our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Colofello. How, how are you today? I'm fine, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for accepting my, my invitation. Thank you for inviting me. Actually, I was, thinking, I was thinking of inviting you for a long time, and then I talked to a common friend, yeah. Manuel. Yes. And he's like, you should talk to her. I'm like, yeah, actually, I was thinking about it. <laughs> How's he doing? <laughs> yeah, he's doing well. That's I was good. just talking to him earlier. It's <laughs> good. Um, so... Let's start from the beginning. Like okay. you were born in, in South, South Africa? Africa? Yes, yes, yes. Um, I'm from South Africa originally, and I spent most of my life in South Africa. And I studied over there. Um, so I started. I had. A, I studied a BA, a bachelor's degree in international relations and economics. And then after that, I worked for a year in a regional organization. In, in Pretoria, I'm from Pretoria originally, in the capital city of South Africa. And then um, after the year, I studied, I did a law degree. Oh. And so I, yeah. In South Africa, the, the law is like a graduate degree? No, it's undergrad. Ah, so you did so two I could have, Yeah, I could have started. <laughs> <laughs> My parents thought I should um, 
maybe try something else before law i don't know maybe they thought i wasn't sure <laughs> your parents are lawyers no they're in it <laughs> <laughs> because my, my case is the opposite i kind of like i wanted to study something else and they kind of so took me they pushed you to the law, to law. No. <laughs> my, my dad wasn't excited <laughs> about me doing these random things he thought that the perfect uh, occupation or career for me was engineering and I said to him, no. So, and then he said, well, do something else. And I said, yeah, I'll, you know, I didn't know what was, I wanted to do drama. And he <laughs> really? said, you're definitely not doing drama. So yeah, that's, oh. that's kind of what I wanted also. <laughs> <laughs> See, now we ended up as lawyers. I think there's a lot of actors that ended up as lawyers. Yes. But, but what, so why did you decide to study the law then? Um, what, drew, what drove you? You know, I think it's many things. I mean, I think at some point, on some level, I knew that drama wasn't going to happen. <laughs> and, so, and so I thought to myself, okay, I'm not going to do this engineering stuff because it's not for me. But you but finished engineering. No, I didn't do it. Ah. I didn't want to do it. <laughs> and so I decided, um, I've always wanted to do something like in diplomacy. And I always saw myself like, you know, traveling overseas and doing that type of stuff. And I thought, yeah, I want to do something in, in diplomacy. But then I just thought, like, how do I become a diplomat, you know? <laughs> because it's another career that, at least when I was studying, that was like, oh, this is what you do, and you become a diplomat. And so I decided, well, I think law is a good option, you know? Yeah. And you could probably, you know, go through diplomatic routes like that. And I actually applied to become a diplomat in this diplomatic um, cadet sort of program recruitment in South Africa. And I was recruited and I got in and at some point I changed my mind. I don't know why, because I think I, I wanted to, do, to become a lawyer at that time. Anyway, so I thought to myself, maybe if this comes back, it'll be here, but I want to become a lawyer. And so I went back. I worked for you and I went back to law school. And so, yeah. Well, that's, that's very interesting <laughs> because like I, I've also seen you that you have like some interest beyond like what you're doing, like your regular... Like my, my day job. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I I also do that, so I find yeah. that like when I see someone else doing it, I also find it like quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, I think so, and I think also maybe it, it speaks to my interdisciplinary background. So I'm not just a lawyer. I'm not really a political scientist. I'm not an economist. Like there's a three mix match <laughs> of all that stuff, and so I have very different interests. But I think ultimately my interest is in trade, and so whether it's you know me doing it on on, on my desk at work or me engaging, you know, in the trade policy exchange, for example, with other people in, in the field. Um, ultimately, I'm very interested in these topics and I like to spend my time, basically most of my time thinking about them because I also write yeah. uh, on the topics, yeah. So that I think that's, uh, the trade is the perfect job for combining all of these yes. diverse yes. interests. Yes, yes, yes. No, it's true. And I mean, I, of course, I like the law. I really like... I mean, I like, I like being a lawyer, you know, so ultimately, I think I chose the correct profession for me. But as you know very well, that trade isn't only about the law. There's other aspects of it that, that makes, you know, things tick. Actually, that's something that I think uh, only when I learned it by doing it, mm -hmm. I realized it. Yeah. Because at the beginning, when I used to see trade, my view of it was from a lawyer's perspective. Yeah. And I thought that anything that deviated from a legal perspective was yeah. wrong. Yeah, 
Yeah. And then I learned that actually that's not really the case. Yeah. There's so many more things involved. There's business, there's diplomacy, there's exactly. like so many things. Exactly. And the, and the legal text is usually the last thing to happen, right? <laughs> actually, like, when, when I have discussions about trade, like in a work environment, the legal thing is what no one really cares about until the end. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's true. And actually, like, when I first encountered that, I felt really disappointed because I, I was like, the legal text, like, shouldn't we just look at it? <laughs> well, let's just talk about that. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, think, I think we understand our place as lawyers. I think, I mean, lawyers are very important to the system, but um, especially, you know, the disputes and dispute settlement, you know, they've become more and more important. But, I mean, as you know, historically, <laughs> lawyers weren't really the first people in the room um, yeah. when these things were negotiated. <laughs> but that is something that I was not really familiar with until I did it. Yeah. And then I saw some of my colleagues who actually, they also seem to have a disdain against lawyers. lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why I don't consider myself a lawyer. Like, what do you consider yourself? I don't know, something like a mix. Yeah. And this is also like, I want to talk to you about this because for the longest time, I was like, kind of like, trying to be someone that I was not, I was not. Like, yeah. I wanted to be like a lawyer, and I, then I saw my colleagues, and like, oh, so I guess lawyers do that, so I really have to do that. Yeah. And I was unhappy. Yeah. And it was not until I was like, maybe I'll just try to do it my own way. Yeah. And that's why I'm doing this, and yeah. I'm doing other things. Yeah. And I'm so happy now. That's good. No, it's true. I think everybody has to find their place, you know. And I think it looks different for different people, you know. And I think it's also a personality thing. I've never just done one thing in my life. I've always had many different interests from the time I was at school. And so it's just continued into my life right now. So I don't feel like I'm doing anything different. It's just who I am as a person. But I think that finding the courage to doing it, like, takes time. And like yes. you can only do it until you learned a bit and yeah. seeing that it's actually possible. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, of course, I think a lot of the things that I've become involved in, I've been able to get involved probably in the past, I would say, two to three years, you know, so when I, and I spend some time in my job, you know, understand my job and know what, you know, the dynamics at play. And as you said, once you learn, you can see different things, you can see different opportunities, and you can see different possibilities. And so that's when in the past, you know, two, three years, I started thinking beyond just my desk, you know, and thinking, what are the things I can get involved in, especially for me, what's important is, you know, the impact that you can bring in different voices and, you know, include different people into the conversation. Because as we know, you know, we're living and working in Geneva here and there's a specific bubble of people. But trade isn't just that. Trade affects a lot more people. And in fact, trade affects more people, you know, sort of more directly than it affects us, I'd say, you know, because yeah. I'm not a trader, you know what I mean? But I am a trade lawyer. And so I think it's very important that we have conversations beyond, you know, this, you know, bubble, I would like to say in Geneva, of very, very intelligent, very knowledgeable people. But there's also a conversation to, have with, to be had with other people who are doing those things that we're negotiating and, and litigating on, <laughs> you know. So, it's yeah. true. And there's like many bubbles, like even like, for example, like in my work when I'm negotiating something, like I feel that that's a bubble. Yeah. And then like there's a bigger bubble that encapsulates that bubble and it goes yeah, like that. Exactly. But in Geneva, of course, in Geneva, it's like a, a big bubble of 
to a certain extent of privileged people that, mm -hmm. that we are living here. Yeah, no, I think so. And I think, I mean, I don't know, like I think privilege in, in a way that I think everybody who works in the space is very, you know, knowledgeable and, and capable in that. But I think it's different in that, as you said, it's not just our perspectives, you know, that ultimately decide things. I mean, you know, when something becomes very popular, like, I'm going to give this example. I know it's a very co controversial example, but of this trips waiver, oh, it started yeah. off, you know, in a trips committee here in Geneva. It's, I mean, the world has taken it over. And ultimately, you know, it might not be decided here in Geneva. It might be decided elsewhere, yeah. you know. And so there's... Well, I think that already the big developments were not... They didn't exactly. happen here. And they, exactly. Yeah. And they're not going to happen in Geneva. But, you know, there's just things like that that just start here, um, you know, in a, in a committee, <laughs> in a council, in the TRIPS council, and they become bigger than, you know, these normal, I would say, everyday meetings that, that you know, delegates attend. So. Actually, talking about that, I mean, we can talk a bit more about that if you want, but I'm just like amazed at how it happened because actually my my expertise and how I got into trade was through IP. Ah. And I always thought that IP was like the ugly duck of, <laughs> of, in, of trade. Like mm -hmm. no one really cared about mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And actually I think that I got into, into the appellate body because there was this dispute which was the other instance where IP like became relevant about plain packaging, mm -hmm. that dispute was coming and I think that's mm -hmm. why they thought that my experience was relevant. Mm -hmm. But other than that, mm -hmm. IP has never really mm -hmm. been an important part of the dialogue, of the discussion yeah. until now. And now it seems to be the biggest thing it has ever <laughs> happened true. in trade. It's true. I must also admit, even when I was at law school, I, I didn't take IP as a subject because I just thought, oh my God, this is so boring. <laughs> <laughs> Now I know better. <laughs> but, but it's true, and I think that that's something that I don't know how to tap into because we live in the bubble that you're we saying here. But I think that everyone like should have inputs to the decisions that we make here because they have real impact, and right now, like real impact, like on a really short-term basis. Usually in trade, like the impact maybe like on a medium, yeah. longer term. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. this one is more on a short term. Yeah, yeah, and and I don't. I mean, for me to be honest, I don't know how that can be done, except for at, at a national level. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't see, and I don't know what type of fora available for interested parties at this level. You know, to be involved. You know, except for making sure that every country or every member making sure that they have channels to make sure that you know the people who are in the country are interested. They give their inputs before negotiating whatever it is that they negotiated the WTO. So, I mean, I mean, these, I guess, also broader issues of, you know, access and transparency that have been spoken about at the WTO for a long time. But I think also in that sense, we live in a time where, because before, even a few years ago, I don't remember this discussion happening, like, outside, like yeah. it was in the WTO. Mm -hmm. There was no, like, social media and, like, yeah. now the, even, for example, just recently with the election of the Director General, Mm. I thought that the process was like so open and transparent, yeah, like yeah. even outside of the WTO. Yeah. And previous uh, selection processes were not yeah. at all. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, my memory only extends far as, as a bit, <laughs> because that's when my interest, you know, I was interested in trade at the times. And I, do, I don't remember this. There was I nothing. I was also remember. there and there was nothing like uh, there. 
you wouldn't see them like speak you wouldn't see like what they said like their statements yeah like and now like everyone who had an interest that's could access true. them that's true and also i think what they were also what's also made it accessible was that they were in the sort of general media you know there were bbc interviews and all of that and so i was very you know sort of pleasantly surprised to see them being interviewed and that was something that i also noticed the change because when i started dealing with trade like in 2009-2010 there seemed to be not a broad interest in trade yeah. from oh yeah abroad. no it's true and I now know, there is there is i know you know i'll go back home over the years and i'll tell them what i do and they're like what's the WTO? <laughs> yeah. And so I, I realized, oh my God, actually like my life means nothing. You know? Like nobody knows. <laughs> and we were like reinforcing the bubble thing. <laughs> exactly. And you think that, oh, you're so great, you know, <laughs> working in Geneva. <laughs> but in fact, nobody knows, you know, I think a lot of people know now, but at least a few years ago, not a lot of people. Well, I would say, you know, of course, people like if I go and visit my grandmother or my relatives, you know, some people. Uh, no, they didn't know. My friends who are also lawyers and like who you would expect them to be like knowledgeable and this didn't know. Now yeah. everyone knows because it's yeah. on all the news reports, yeah. everything. And like, you know what? Also Trump though. I think <laughs> yeah, Trump has done, <laughs> has done a lot. But, but I, I actually long to the days that like trade was boring. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Because everybody has an opinion. <laughs> everyone has an opinion. And everyone like knows more than you because they read an article or exactly. they skimmed an article. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's true. But it makes for very interesting conversations now at the dinner table. Um, oh, we were just visiting friends over the weekend. And um, um, my, it's my husband's friends that they studied together in the university. My, all my husband's friends are doctors. Oh. And for the first time, we had something to talk about because, you know, they read up and... Oh, well, you know. they were talking about the vaccine. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. Exactly, talking about the vaccine. And, uh, yeah, it was, very, it was very interesting. Before that, uh, I mean, we talked about general things, but I've never spoken about my job with them. <laughs> yeah, actually, like, I usually also don't bring my work home. Yeah. But lately, I think we talk yeah. about it a bit more. No, it's true because it's, it's you know, it's, in the, it's, cu it's current affairs. It's sort of, yeah, things that you see in the news. Which you could talk about. I think we, we went a bit here, but I wanted to go a bit let's back. Go back yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go a bit back. So you, like when you were working and you said you wanted to be a diplomat, but then you went back to law school, like you finished law school and you were working in parallel or? No, no, so I, so, I, I, so I did my BA, I finished that. I, I, work, I worked um, for NEPAD, which is now part of the African Union. I worked there for a year and then I went back to school, to university, to do, do my law degree. And that, uh, how, how was that? Because you already had some like professional, yeah. real world experience. Yeah, yeah. no. Did I you was... take more advantage of law school? I think so. I, I mean, at the time I started law school, I know for you know, people in the US, starting law school at 24 is not weird, but I mean, in South Africa, you can start law school at 18. So I was like six years older than, you know, more or less the average law student. And so obviously I had, you know, life experience, I had working experience, and for me I was very serious. I didn't have time to play, <laughs> to play around. And also my program was short, it was three years. Normally it's four years, so if you've got a degree, they, they, uh, they make it shorter by one year. So I had to do more in the three years than everybody else. Intensive. It was more intensive mm. in that way. But it was good because I met uh, students who are like me, who are a little bit more mature. And yeah, I was sort of really focused and I could really, I think I, f I felt for the first time that I was doing something that worked the way my brain worked. You know, I really, I know it sounds weird, but I liked reading law reports. <laughs> 
feel I liked writing papers. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed it. And so I finished my degree in three years. And I, in South Africa, you have to do a training program for, or yeah, traineeship for two years before you get admitted to the bar. And so I did that. And most, I mean, <clears throat> it's very difficult to get into these big commercial law firms. Um, and they recruit, you know, obviously the, the brightest students. And luckily, I was able to get into one. It's uh, it's called Bowman's. It's actually now become you know quite a big uh, law firm in Africa. And so I spent two years uh, completing what they call my articles, so the training. And then shortly after two years, I applied to the MILE program, and I came to the WTI to do my master's program. And at that time, like, were you so at the time you were when you were working in the law firm, you were already interested in trade? Yes, actually, I, I became interested in trade at law and well let me not lie so because of my economic background i always knew i wanted to do something that's at the intersection of law and economics and so at that time it was either going to be competition law or later i found trade law in my in my studies so i did it i took it as a course and i i like both so i wasn't really sure you know what i would do and so when i went to this uh, law firm i sought out you know opportunities to do a rotation in competition and in trade I did a competition rotation and I liked it, but the international trade department was quite small and it was more focused on customs and things like that. So I wasn't really, you know, that interested. Yeah, I also don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But now I'm like, and now I think it's interesting, but you know, back in the day. <laughs> and, and then, yeah, and so then I thought to myself, well, I still want to do this trade thing. I want to give it a chance. And my university, uh, Wits University, had a uh, relationship with the World Trade Institute in Bern. And there was a program through the Swiss government, the SECO, uh, that gave uh, scholarships to, to students from South Africa. Um, to do the mile program so they paid everything 100% you know scholarship and, and also living expenses and so I applied and I got in and so for me it was very easy to make that decision because I didn't have to think about the finances yeah and that's how you got to Switzerland that's how I got to Switzerland <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and how was your experience uh, with the mile program I think it's a really interesting program yeah it was great it was great I mean I left I left the law firm so I was at the law firm for about two years and I would say four or five months um, so I, I finished my training program then I stayed on as an associate for about five months and when I left the law firm I thought to myself oh my god I need a break because <laughs> this is, you know I was working in uh, corporate law firms um, and when I got here, <laughs> the program was actually quite challenging. And so I, you know, I didn't get the break that I needed, but it was good. I mean, I, I enjoyed it, you know, it was very fast paced, um, very intensive. You know, there was about 30 students and we were all, you know, every day in the same, you know, classroom from, you know, nine o'clock until 4 p.m. And seeing, you know, different topics every week, you know, had to write an exam at the end of every week. So, I mean, for me, it was great because, you know, I went back to doing politics, international politics and economics and law, like I did in my, in my undergrad. And um, for me, it really made sense. Like it really it was something that, you know, when you do something and you see it making sense to you, yeah. that was the mile for me. It just made sense to me, all of it. And yeah, so I, I completed after the year and I wrote my thesis and then I, I did a, a, a six month uh, internship with WTI advisors here in Geneva after the so after you came to Switzerland you never left no <laughs> no and my intention was to get the degree and go back home 
That was also my intention when I went abroad. I, I thought I would go back to Mexico, but yeah. it was not planned. I just happened yeah, to. Yeah, no, no, yeah. it's true, it's true. For me, it was the same because, well, actually, I think it was to my husband. So my husband is German, and so we're living in South Africa. And so at some point, we had thought maybe to come and live here for a bit and see. And so, you know, coming to Switzerland, I think was also an opportunity for us to see what can happen. Mm. But we hadn't, we didn't have any plans. We just literally, we said, oh, we'll come here for a year, or maybe two years, and then go back to South Africa and continue with life and then see what happens. And so it just happened that everything kind of worked the way it did. And he was working, he's a, he's a doctor, I think, as I told you, he was working in Germany at the time. I was here in Switzerland, and so things worked out, I think. And so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the case of many people, but there's also many people who actually want to stay and they cannot. It's, yeah, it's now a matter of luck. No, no, it's true. It's true. And, and I think for me, looking back at the time, I always knew that I had a, an exit plan. You know what I mean? I always knew that, you know, of course, I'll try and apply for whatever opportunities presented themselves here. And if I got in, I would be super happy as I was. But if things didn't work out, going back home was always an option for me. You know, it, was, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going back home and I'm so embarrassed. And no, going back home to South Africa was always an option for me. Mm. Yeah, for me, I guess I had like mixed opinions. Yeah. I mean, I didn't want to stay, but then when I was here, I was like, yeah, maybe I do want to stay. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, sometimes it happens like that, you know. You can't, yeah, I mean, life just happens that way. Well, I don't know if you've seen this movie, Elysium. It's actually by a South African director. No. It's uh, with Matt Damon. And okay. it's like a futuristic movie where there's like a society that lives on Earth. And actually the, the Earth part, they shot it in Mexico uh. in, a, in a really... A really poor place yeah. and then there's this also other society that lives like on a man-made moon yeah and everything works there everything is fine i think switzerland is like elysium that's what they call <laughs> it like if you compare it like from where i come from mm. now it's a bit different when i go back it's different but when i was there like i just looked at the things that didn't work mm. and i always like wanted like things to work like yeah. in general and then yeah. when switzerland was that yeah so switzerland no, like my elysium yeah, Switzerland is, I mean, also, I mean, comparing, you know, to where I come from, Switzerland is on another level, really. But actually, having said that, I'm not so impressed with the way that Switzerland dealt with the COVID-19 pandemic. That's a bit disappointing. But we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> um, so then, after you finish your double, uh, the, the, the Trade Institute, mm -hmm. you... You went full on trade. Yeah, so yeah, I was at the WTI Advisors here in Geneva. I was there for six months. And then I got an opportunity um, to do research with um, a German professor called Markus Krajewski. He's at the University of Erlangen, Nuremberg in Nuremberg. So I moved there to work as a research assistant. And at the time, um, he was doing a lot of things, you know, on investment, on services, on TTIP on and you know also uh, you know uh, editing the european yearbook on international economic law so there was a lot of stuff happening and it was very interesting and so off off i went to germany um but i think at the time when i was leaving here i was applying obviously to different places and to different opportunities and one of the places that i applied to in addition to the job that i went to 
for in Germany was at the, w, at the ACWL, uh, my current position now. And so, um, yeah, so I left. Uh, I hadn't heard anything from the ACWL, and so to my, my mind, I just thought, well, you know, that didn't work out. Anyway, I have a job, I'm going to Germany. And so that's what I did. I spent six months learning German. <laughs> And, and yeah, spending a really good time in, in academia. I think I spent, it was really good for me to spend that time there because it made me realize at the time that I wasn't ready to do a PhD because I was signing up for a PhD. Wow. But at the time, I think I wasn't ready. I really still wanted to have some practical experience. Um, and I know the German system and the system works completely different. I mean, you know, German students usually go from like five years or however many years of law school, they write their state exams and they go into PhD. So they study for like, you know, nine, 10 years before they start practicing. And I come from, in South Africa, the law is definitely practice. Yeah. So you practice It makes law. it also more like practical. Exactly. Even like the law school is more practical than... Exactly. And there's very few practitioners that actually have LLMs even, you know? Yeah. And so to have a PhD as a, as a practitioner, you know, a lawyer in South Africa is very unusual. And so for me, I, I, I like the practical part of the law. And so when I got the opportunity here at ACWL, of course I ran <laughs> for it. And yeah, this is how, this is how I came and here. How, can you tell us a bit more about how, how it works here at the ACWL? Um, I, I mean, I don't think it's any different from the WTO or any other international organization, sort of the formal part of it. But I mean, what we do here, um, I'm sure you know that um, we have members who are developing countries and we also have, we also support LDCs. So there's a, a total of about 78, close to 80 countries that we support. Um, so those include the LDCs who are about 30, some of them, and then our members who are about 40, some of them. <coughs> And we provide um, legal opinions or legal advice. We provide capacity building training, and we also represent them in disputes at the WTO. And so those are the three services that we provide to our members and obviously the LDCs. So it's also kind of like a, like a law firm, like a policy yeah. well, development it's, it's tank? Le it's legal, yeah. it's, it's a completely, it's a, it's a law firm in that way, but it's kind of like, yeah, I would say that. I would say we operate closer to a law firm than anything else, really. Um, we don't deal with policy at all. Okay. Uh, it's a complete sort of a legal, uh, legal environment where we provide legal advice and training on legal instruments and legal issues. And so, yeah, we don't do policy advice at all, which I think for me, to be honest, is I enjoy that uh, because the law is more neutral i would say that's what we yeah we, we try to do with the law <laughs> and once you get into policy it becomes a little bit more complicated and yeah i don't think i, I enjoy it i enjoy doing you know the, the legal part of it so and um but it's not all disputes so there can no. be legal aspects to many other things yeah of course disputes. everything under wto law everything under the sun so it could be anything from sps you know, the e-commerce negotiations that are happening right now, it could be anything, yeah. Well, I think that like gives you like a really wide perspective on, yeah. because if you were working for a, a member state, yeah. you would only be looking no, at it from sure. that the perspective. Issues, yeah. You look at it from yeah. different. Oh yeah. How has that informed you or the way that you look at things when you analyze them? Mm. 
You know, I think that's very interesting. I think for me, to be honest, it wasn't that big of a jump because I come from a law firm environment where you have different clients that do different things. And so for me, it was like the same. It was like working, you know. It's another client. It's, it's another, another client, client who's got different issues, you know. But I think it's also very interesting in that way, as you mentioned, is that um, you see a whole lot more things that you would see otherwise, you know, if you're focused on one or maybe one region even, you know. But now because we serve basically the whole world and most of our members or most of the countries that we support are either, you know, from Latin America or from Africa or from Asia, then you see different things and you see different um, issues from different levels of development as well, you know. And so you can see, um, you know, issues that, for example, members like Chinese Taipei or members like Hong Kong, you know, would have versus obviously members or LDCs like, I don't know, Lesotho, you know, for example, Rwanda, hmm. for example, completely different interests, you know? And so in that way, I really appreciate, you know, the scope and, and, and just the broad range of issues that I can you know, get access to just, you know, in my normal nine to five. So it's very interesting for me. And uh, like, have you seen, because of you talked about regions, have you seen like there's certain things that apply like broadly in a region? Interestingly enough, yes, and I think the region that actually where I have kind of seen a lot of convergence is actually Latin America. Oh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of We're similar... Like brothers. Yeah, there's a lot of similar <laughs> issues that come out around the same time. And so, for example, if you get a request for legal opinion from one country, you'll get three, four others asking for the same issue, you know. And I don't know if it's because, you know, Latin American countries discuss more or there's more, you know, avenue for closer regional integration. I'm not sure. But it just I seems think there's also like a homogeneity of the culture. It could be that. It could be that. Well, and actually, also I also, language, I also find that a lot in Africa, but yeah. I think that those two regions, Latin America... Yeah. Maybe in Africa, because there's different languages also in yeah. Latin America, we speak Spanish yeah. and Portuguese. No, no. I mean, for example, with African countries, I haven't really... I, there's, there's very few topics where I've, I've seen, you know, one country ask. I mean, there's a couple. I mean, it's not that. But when you compare it to Latin America, you can see there's definitely sort of a trend. Um, but that's very interesting that you said, because something that I always thought, but like hearing someone say it, like... Uh, there's also like a lot of uh, collaboration. I yes, think. I think so. That's what I mean. I yeah. think there's a lot more communication that goes on between the groupings and maybe even at the WTO. Yeah, the actually, I think that the Latin American group. Uh, I actually, I've seen that that has changed like in the in the last few years. Mm. But there's a lot of integration and collaboration, collaboration. On, across yeah. many topics. Yeah, yeah. This could be it. So the you know the group is, is tighter. But I think, in, I think in Asia, I mean, a lot of our members are Southeast Asia and, you know, East Asia. But I think it's very varied. I, I don't, I mean, you know, it's very, very sort of diverse, the issues that, that come out of that part of, that part of the world. Um, you were also talking about uh, a writer. You're a writer. Yeah, I think you recently you... <laughs> You wrote a book, no? You finished your book. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I wouldn't put myself in the category of a writer, <laughs> but I write. <laughs> if you already wrote a book, you are a writer. No, no, I didn't. I didn't write a book. We edited. We, I edited uh, a book. Uh, wow, but that's. Yeah. I think writing is editing. <laughs> <laughs> I like that writing is. Editing. No, but it's true. Like when I, when I usually that at least that's my process. You put something on the page, and it's terrible, 
and it becomes something yeah, as you edit it. Of yeah. course, of course, yeah. No, I mean, of course, I mean, in, in the book itself, uh, I contributed to three chapters. And so, I, you know, there's three chapters in the book of, I don't know, 15, 16 chapters that have my name on it. And so I, I wrote, uh, but most of the work was in editing. And I mean, I have a lot of respect for people who do this. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, it's a lot of work. Of course, it's interesting. And of course, it was a passion project. So this book uh, that uh, sort of a friend, somebody who was a colleague who became a friend through the process, uh, Professor uh, Francisca Zucker, who works at, at Wits University in, in, in Johannesburg, where I graduated from, uh, she approached me to, to assist her in editing uh, this project on international trade law uh, from a Southern African perspective. And so... There's not a lot, I mean, generally when you look at Africa, there's not a lot of these types of books, you know, on Africa-specific trade, on Africa-specific, you know, issues, you know, economic issues, because we don't only deal with trade, we also have something on investment, we have something on competition. And I think for us, this, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a good book, but of course there's scope to expand it. And so we're really looking into the view of the second edition um, ah, you're already thinking about the second. Of course, edition. yeah, of course. I mean, it's 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 clear that it's going to be something that we're going to keep updating. We're going to keep trying to get more people to write on different, more different topics, and yeah. So, you know. Um, I'm also interested in hearing, like, because I always get asked that question, like, how do you find the time? Oh. <laughs> I I don't know how how I do it, either, but it just seems <laughs> to happen. But I don't know what's yeah. your experience with that. You know, I think it's practice. And as I said to you before, I've always been involved in many different things from a very young age. So I've just learned to manage my time, you know. And of course, my priority is my job. So I make sure that my job is done and everything is, is sorted from that perspective. And if I've got extra time, if I've got, you know, time to kill, then I do other things, you know. And I mean, for me, I think the biggest challenge for time was, you know, being a mother. I, You know, I've got a baby who's almost two years old so uh, in the past two years I've had to juggle all of that stuff but I've managed and I can really say that I'm very I'm very proud to have been able to continue you know some of the things that I never thought I would be able to continue without I would say you know depriving my family of you know family time we still spend a lot of time together it's just that I manage my time differently and also, I don't sleep much. <laughs> so that works in my favor. <laughs> yeah, no, really, I, I think, and, and not because I've just never slept a lot as a person. So, you know, when people are sleeping, that's when I'll do something. When the house is quiet. When the house yeah, is yeah. quiet, yeah. I, 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 know, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I know. But I think it's also good, like, you have, to have a richer life, you have to fill it with more things. Mm. And, like, you have your day job. Mm. which is your day job and, well, mm. and then you have other activities to have your family time mm. but if you put more like to me it seems that you actually are not taking away you actually become mm. more efficient mm. and you mm. can deal with mm. your time in a better yeah. manner see I think a lot of people think sometimes and I've had you know various people come up to me uh, the things that I do in addition to you know my day job is they're my hobbies. It's things that I like to do and things that I would do anyway. And so for me to write an article on whatever <laughs> issue is 
something that gives me pleasure <laughs> you yeah. know just like some people have hobbies like i don't know mountain biking or hiking or whatever my hobby is to read and it's to you know do things in, in the in the subject you know and so it's not i don't feel tired it doesn't you know sap me it doesn't take away my energy it you know revitalizes me it no, and it, i think it also enriches your work it has happened to me and i don't know if that's your case like you're watching mm. a movie and an idea comes at you mm. and you're like ah i was thinking about this other problem and you like you have an idea and you maybe this solves it or not but yeah. you're constantly getting more ideas you're yeah. learning things and no it's true and it's true right as I, as you just mentioned you know sort of me thinking and doing things enriches my my professional you know work and life and and i think you know in the past three years i've really grown as a professional you know uh you know of course uh, you know in the efforts that i put in my job but also in my professional network in you know in the topics that i'm able to now you know master which i didn't before you know and of course it's, it's because it's related to what i do anyway i feel like i'm not taking away anything because it's it all feeds back in and yeah. somehow there's the cycle that's created that no I, i'm just yeah i mean i'm at a point in my in my life and in my career where i'm very very happy and so and i think that also like that passion like people can see it when you truly are passionate about <laughs> yeah, something i hope so <laughs> i think it it does uh show in your work in your yeah. daily things and, and yeah. people react to that and they yeah yeah they appreciate it no i yeah I, mean, i hope so i mean i'm i'm like i really am passionate about what i do so it's not for me it's you know it's yeah it's my career but it's also my interest and my passion yeah and regarding you also mentioned it before but maybe you can talk a bit more about it the trade policy trade policy exchange yes because that's something that you've also been spending a lot of time doing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so actually um we started off uh i would say now two years ago uh me and stephanie noel and i d- i didn't know her i never met her before and yeah, actually i think she told me that you met for lunch yes. and then like that's when it happened <laughs> literally yeah. and i think we ran into each other or we started talking there was one event at the wto that was um organized and that whole panel <laughs> was complete you know it was all male and it was many speakers you know like 20 speakers so 15 20 speakers and and sh- and we were just shocked <laughs> as to how in 2019 this can happen yeah and i remember i was uh, very upset and i and i actually i tweeted the wti uh, yeah the wti i think at the time was organized if i remember properly and i said no nah, i mean you know this is not i don't think it's appropriate <laughs> you because you that was your alma mater also yes <laughs> <laughs> yes i can't be very honestly criticizing things you know and people and i think also you know some people you know said mm, come on actually i remember that when it happened it you do like, yeah because i i actually don't follow twitter that much yeah. but i don't know why like i i saw it and then it became like really big <laughs> really and they big. changed it <laughs> they did yeah. right they did and so i mean it was but also very gracious from their side right i mean some people and i know it's happened recently where you know something was organized and the same issues were raised and the organizers just said well okay thank you for your comments <laughs> they just moved on with their lives with the with their panel of you know i don't know how many males and so the wti responded you know positively and and it was changed and i thought it was really great but i mean from that stephanie and i we had lunch and we met 
And I think as young women in the field, we said, ah, you know, this is kind of something that's underlying, that's never really discussed, but, you know, it's, it's, it's an issue of access as well, right? Access for younger people, because most of the people on the panel were older. Yeah. Access for non-males, you know, there weren't any females. And also a little bit of sort of background, I mean, sort of, I guess, cultural and racial diversity, you know. There's a lot of people doing trade who look different, you know. And we just thought, okay, well, we need to somehow, how can we do that? How can we bring something and do something that so is... So that was like the, the idea yeah, behind Yeah, that was the brainchild, exactly. Yeah. That was just kind of the push for us. And we first started off thinking that we would do something, you know, for women. But then there's thing, you know, there's women inside trade, there's, you know, women you know, the trade experts, I'm part of that trade experts. And I think it's amazing, but we just thought, you know, it would be just too much to have another, you know, organization or association or group just focused on women. And, and in any event, we just thought that we needed sort of broader access, not just for women, but also for, for everyone who, who's not, you know, I guess, part of the, you know, the, 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 the elite group of, you know, trade people that get called upon for everything the club, all the time. The little club, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so we started off and we were surprised at the support that we got from people like you. We invited you to become one of our experts. And everybody basically we could think about said yes, you know? And so we were completely blown over by <laughs> all of the support. Um, and then we started organizing. Then 2020 happened and unfortunately we just completely got derailed uh because of the you know uh, events that we had planned face to face and we'd made really good you know connections um and then we decided you know what let's just we just have to kind of be flexible and do what everybody's doing you know we can't follow the same model and towards the end of last year we we uh, got uh nicholas <laughs> Kola Suzuki, who's an amazing guy, who's part of our team now, and the three of us have been, you know, putting things together. We've had already three events. We're having a next one next month, and there's just a momentum of interest of people writing to us, of people, you know, saying this is such a good idea. And, you know, the events that we've had so far have just really been what we thought we wanted this to become, you know very representative of everybody you know we just had a panel on on, on digital trade that was all women <laughs> which is powerful because you know all of these technical issues um you know are very not well represented by women and for many different reasons but you know it's good to kind of have some diversity and, and we, you know we're trying to get our blog up hoping to get some submissions and yeah so we hope this you know just keeps growing from strength to strength and i think that that process that you mentioned how first you had an idea and then like the idea changed i think that's uh, that's also what this is like mm. i had an idea and you have to pivot you have to mm. adapt it as as mm. it goes but you actually have to do it yeah like the yeah. doing part is that's something true. that many don't do that's true that's what happened to us at the end of 2020 it's like we've got this idea we had plans but you know things we fell on our face but now we just need to move on you know and so no it was it was important to start to yeah. do something yeah um well i i also like before we conclude i just want to hear like your thoughts about how you see the next few months in WTO, if there's anything that you can <laughs> share. 
yeah i mean i really i wish i had a crystal ball but i mean let me say i hope but i can't make any predictions because i really don't know and i mean it's, it's going to also be a very conservative hope um for fishery subsidies very conservative hope we'll see what happens at the end of the year um i don't know what's going to happen with the e-commerce uh, joint statement initiative there's a hope maybe that would continue that would be successful um and then the hope also you know I, I don't know and maybe i don't think that the vaccine solution would come through the wto but definitely the engagement that has happened has spurred a lot of you know action and we'll see what happens you know i think i really uh, found the dg's third way very interesting and i always thought that was a very smart way to deal with it and i think maybe that's what's going to prevail you know companies negotiating agreements directly with uh manufacturers in different countries well maybe that's that was the whole objective of yeah. this like pushing them yes to that yes which that in itself like yes. maybe it's the best outcome for me yes i think so i mean it's very formalistic to have something coming out of the wto something like this you know it's it's, it's quite but i think that this like uh, really moved because of the dg yeah. which i think the uh, she did manage to do things a bit different yes and like i mean we don't have anything tangible yet but yes. i think that this is all because of her engagement no she's very energetic and i think you know i'm looking forward to what happens you know in the next few months and of course in the next years of her of her term so Well, fellow, thank you for talking to thank us. It you, was a pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> thank you. Okay, thank you.